0: For most Americans, the first port of entry into the countries that used to lie on the communist side of the Iron Curtain is the fairy-tale city of Prague. But the city that feels to me like the real powerhouse of the region is actually Budapest, the capital of Hungary, like a full-bodied Hungarian wine Budapest can overwhelm you at first, even while it intoxicates you with what it has to offer. The city is like two cities in one, actually, split by the Danube River. The hilly west side is called Buda, where you'll find elegant remnants of the glory days of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Across the river, the flatlands of Pest contain the parliament building, the opera house, the business sector, as well as the more urban-feeling town center and Jewish Quarter. Let's get a street-view picture of the city now where you can enjoy a floodlit night stroll or ride its great public transportation network to enjoy the very best of Budapest. To orient us, we're checking in with Esther Bokros. She's a tour guide who lives in Budapest. She's joined by Cameron Hewitt. He's the co-author of the Rick Steves' Eastern Europe Guidebook, and Cameron knows how to present the very best of Budapest for American visitors who may only have a couple of days to get a flavor of the city. Esther and Cameron... Thanks for being with us.
1: You're very welcome.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Budapest really dominates Hungary. I mean, Esther, you come from Budapest. It seems like in Hungary, that's by far the most important city.
1: Absolutely. But the reason is that the Austro-Hungarian monarchy had two capitals, Vienna and Budapest. So everything was concentrated in these two cities. All the train lines, for example, started from these two cities. All the ministries, administration was put into these cities. That's why you see today glorious buildings in both cities, although the countries are very small today.
0: I wondered about that. So it's thanks to the Habsburgs' determination to make a grand capital, because, of course, the Habsburgs ruled much more than Austria and Hungary. They had many yeah. different uh, lands, and they had to have uh, acceptably grandiose capitals of Budapest and Vienna. And today the infrastructure survives.
1: More or less, yes. More or yes. less, yeah.
0: Now, when we think of the lay of the land, a lot of people don't realize it used to be two towns. Tell us the story about Buda and Pest.
1: Let's start with the names first. Buda, it comes from a Slavic word vada, which means water, because the city has a lot to do with water. First of all, there is the Danube in the middle of the city, and there are lots of thermal springs under the surface of Budapest, actually twenty-eight.
0: Thermal springs. Yes, uh, they say in Hungary, in, in if you scratch the surface of the land, you find Nearly hot Nearly about
1: <laughs> under eighty-five percent of the country, if you scratch it, <laughs> you, you get a, find you get a mineral water. spa. You Absolutely. got a you got a long
0: pipe. You got yourself a hot springs.
1: Absolutely. So that's the part. Uh, Buddha. Pest is the flat part. It's oh, yeah. always warmer a little bit. Buda is the hilly part. Okay. And uh, historically, Buda was the first capital of the Hungarian kings in the 14th century. One of the kings moved it from a smaller northern uh, town. And then he decided to build a castle there. And then he put all the administration around it, and the wealthy, wealthy nobility lived around the king.
0: Okay, so all the royal stuff, the castle, the great cathedral, the fort, monument, all of that would be up on the hilly part, Buddha. Up on the
1: hilly part, absolutely. And then the
0: business area in the modern grid-planned city would be Pesht across the river?
1: Yes, absolutely. That would be today the political, educational, business center of, of the city, the pest side.
0: So, Cameron, is that, is that fair to say Buddha would be the hilly place with the grandiose buildings? Uh, and how would you characterize Pest?
2: Then? Um, yeah, that's exactly right. What's interesting is those historic connections are still there today. Buddha is still, it's not just hilly, but it's still the more conservative, a little bit wealthier, kind of the fancy homes, and the, the Buddha Hills is kind of the Hollywood Hills of, of Hungary. All the kind of wealthy, conservative, old fashioned folks live on the Buddha side. Pest is this flat, modern urban liberal, progressive, a lot of funky uh, nightlife, lots of hipsters.
0: So for a traveler looking for some action, you'd probably focus on Pesht.
2: And I'll be honest, I've been to Budapest 20 times, and it's been years since I slept on the Buddha side. It's very charming and pleasant, but if you want to be close to the best new restaurants uh, and a lot of the great sights, Pesht is really where it's at.
0: Of course, you got this grand uh, river, the Danube, cutting right through, and we had historically two different towns... Do the towns sort of put their back against the Danube, or do they face the Danube? What's the relationship in Budapest
2: to the river? The city absolutely faces the Danube. It's really the lifeline of the city. There's even some very powerful, famous Hungarian poems about how important the Danube is to Budapest and to the Hungarian culture. There's lots of beautiful bridges crossing the Danube. Uh, you can zip under it on the subway, but I prefer to walk over some of these grand bridges. The famous iconic chain bridge um, is the most famous of these. There's even a new uh, boat taxi system or a boat bus system, but it's uh, basically boats that go up and down the river, stopping in several Hmm. strategic locations along the riverbank.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Budapest with two guides that know Budapest very well, Esther Bokros, who is from Budapest, and Cameron Hewitt, who co-authors our guidebook to Eastern Europe and has a particular interest and passion for Budapest. Esther, Cameron mentioned the chain bridge. I find that very evocative, very powerful. What is your favorite bridge over the Danube in Budapest, and and tell us uh, why.
1: My favorite bridge would be probably the Liberty Bridge. If you go to Budapest today, you will recognize it easily because it's green, and it's beautifully illuminated green at night. That's an iron bridge that was inaugurated in 1896, and that was called Francis Joseph Bridge because of the Austro-Hungarian emperor. So again, the more the Habsburg connections there. Yes, absolutely, because he was set to hammer the last nail in the bridge. Okay. And I think it's very stylish, beautiful ironwork and it has been fantastically restored with old-fashioned lamps, old-fashioned little statues. And in fact, uh, it's a little bit infamous because many uh, suiciders jump from this bridge. Oh, no. Oh, yes.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. We're talking about Budapest. And Jack's on the line in Charlottesville, Virginia. Jack, thanks for your call.
3: I was... Hoping your guides could uh, give me some advice. My wife and I will spend a couple of nights in Budapest prior to uh, going out on a river cruise. And uh, I was wondering if you could uh, lay out the pros and cons of staying on the Buddha side versus the Pesh side of the city.
0: Cameron already said that it's been 10 years since he stayed on Budapest. or Buddha, he likes Pesh.
2: I really prefer Pesht. Buda is very charming. It's very pleasant. There's a lot of historic sites, but it doesn't have quite the street, the life, kind of the urban liveliness that you get on the Pest side. And there's some really pleasant neighborhoods over on the Pest side. You're in much closer proximity to the best restaurants, great sightseeing, you know, beautiful riverfront promenade, all of that sort of thing. There are some nice areas in Buda, to be sure, and there's some great accommodations there as well. But I just find that there's, there's a lot more vitality on the other side of the river.
0: In communist times, I remember the place everybody stayed was the Hilton Hotel in the, in the castle mm. on the Buda side. Esther, yes, where one
2: we? we were thinking of.
0: Yeah, I think most people would think of the big old famous uh, golden glass kind of windows of the old uh, communist Hilton Hotel there, but uh, I agree with Cameron, the action's on the pest side.
2: And the castle in particular is sleepy. I mean, there's neighborhoods in Buda that are a little livelier, but that Hilton is right on top of the of the hill, it's right in the middle of the castle, and there's just really nothing going on at all after dark there. Great.
3: Well, thank you very much.
0: You know, Jack, before you, you leave us, mm-hmm. I just got to use this opportunity to bring let Esther and, and Cameron talk about the ruin pubs, because... When you're in Pest, you've got all these wonderful sort of bohemian-chic places that are just... uh, Well, I'll let Esther explain it. Esther, what is a ruin pub?
1: A ruin pub is basically a little empty space between two quite ruinous buildings. And the point is that there is a bar set up in this empty place, and the walls of the ruinous buildings are very artistically decorated. Each one is different. Artistically
0: decorated if you like uh, street art or If you like
1: street art, but some of them are really, really... uh, Some of them are crazy, but some of them are really stylish. They are very, very popular, especially after ten o'clock, I would say. And you can have a nice drink and just enjoy the atmosphere. There are lots of young people going there. It's really, really popular and most of them have live music. As and well. the
0: people speak English and tourists are made to feel very welcome. Cameron, explain the experience you've had in a ruined pub.
2: Yeah, I find them very, very accessible and, and that that's exactly right. What's amazing to me about it too is they're they're proliferating like crazy. The, a few years ago there were two or three. There's a one street where the most famous original one called Simpla was for many years. still is there. And on my last visit, I was amazed in just two years. Now there's 15 more within about a block walk of that. It's just (laughs) the nice thing uh, as a traveler is you can kind of hop from pub to pub and poke your head in the door and pick the one that you feel comfortable in. There are some that are really ratty and ramshackle and graffitied and are really much more catering to young folks. And then there are ones that are a little bit more upscale. They're still rough around the edges. That's the point. But they're a little bit more upscale, a little bit more comfortable. Um, I'm thinking of a couple in particular, but, but it's just really a, a great scene to just kind of go out, explore, uh, see the latest places and pick the one you like best.
0: And we list our favorites in our guidebooks. Uh, you know, Jack, I, I've got a pretty disgusting work ethic when I'm in Europe and I'll never forget last time I was in Budapest doing work on our guidebook. I'd go out to check out the pubs. I'd make these friends. They'd get me drunk, and I'd stay out until the wee hours. It's just so uncharacteristic, but I would have a blast, and I would go from ruin pub to ruin pub, and they took me in in such a charming, friendly way. And, uh, you know, I'm just an old guy twice their age that doesn't speak their language, and we had a blast. So don't I will miss
3: look forward that. to that. Thank you all very much.
0: <laughs> have fun, Jack. Thanks for I your will. call. I will. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Budapest with two guides who know Hungary well, uh, Esther Bokrus, who lives in Budapest, and Cameron Hewitt, who's the co-author of our Eastern Europe guidebook and our guidebook to Budapest itself. Esther, one of my favorite places in Budapest is what they call, I think, the Memento Park. I've always been fascinated by social realism, this kind of propaganda art, and it comes in terms of big, overbearing statues that were on all the squares during communist time, keeping the people down, reminding them of the power of the Soviet ideology and so on. Of course, after freedom... All of those statues were torn down, and in Budapest, they were dragged out to a suburb, put into a park, and today it's a place where locals and tourists can go and see 50 or so of these statues that all have this communist ideology. What's it like when you go out there and when you take tourists out to Memento Park in Budapest?
1: For all those people who have who have never been to Central Europe during those days or who have never even lived that time, it is really interesting, because this is something a little bit... A forbidden word for them it seems like so they always find them sometimes very funny sometimes hideous some of these statues but they always find them very very interesting to it's, it's us
0: propaganda all it's propaganda
1: It's absolutely propaganda to us it's funnier today although we had to look at them for decades
0: as you were a child and had to look at that they must have been very mean-spirited
1: yes very mean-spirited and uh, they were not really liked but Today, it is funny to look at them, but it also, uh, we acknowledge that this is part of our past. Yeah. And we shouldn't forget that this was part of our uh, past.
0: It's a, it's a powerful site. And, and Cameron, when you go out there now, you can actually go to the little kiosk and buy some kitschy souvenirs oh, yeah. from the Soviet times.
2: Oh, yeah. They have a CD with the greatest hits of communism. You can get a little model of a Trabant, which was the old, uh, the cheapo communist era car that You can that everyone have a had. safari
1: with a Trabant. A what? A safari. You can drive a Trabant. You can drive it.
0: Can you do that now? Yes. So there's there's you all can. of this nostalgia for the, what has been 20 or 30 years now so since uh,
1: it freedom. It is very popular now to drive the Trabant. You yeah. can do it now. And William's on the line in Miami, Florida. William, thanks for your call.
3: Hi. Oh, I was planning on going to Budapest maybe in March, but I bought your guidebook a couple days ago, and uh, I got totally intimidated and decided against it because of the... um, One thing, you know, the language seems to be incomprehensible. The currency, and uh, I'm used to dishonest cab drivers having gone to Europe many times... But in your book, you say the restaurant tours always also try to rip you off. Also,
0: well, I'll let, I'm going to let Cameron uh, defend our book. We we wrote it together, and uh, I'll tell you, I cannot speak two words of Hungarian, and don't let that keep you away. But William, were there other concerns? Because this is going to be fun for for me to hear Cameron respond. You, you got crooked cabbies. You got people in the restaurants ripping you off. You got the overwhelming language. Let's hear, Cameron. Why, why should uh, William be bold and go to Budapest?
2: Uh, well, first of all, you're exactly right that the language is really intimidating and impossible to understand. Uh, but the good news is a lot of people there, most people there, speak great English, especially people in the tourist trade. I would never pretend to speak Hungarian. I can get by with a few words. But i got to tell you, I've never had a problem uh, going year after year. There's always people there who speak English and are really eager to help you ease your transition. What's a good backup language? Good. German is probably the best. I'm pretty good with German. Yeah, exactly. I speak some German, and that helps a lot. If someone, especially older generation, if they don't speak Hungarian, they probably speak some German.
0: But find young people and people in tourism, and they'll they'll learn English, I would think.
2: You'll be surprised. I always say I think more people speak better English in Hungary than in places like Germany and France and Spain and Italy, and it's because it's a little, tiny, powerless country. It's 10 million people. They know that no one's going to learn Hungarian, so they better darn well learn English if they want to get along with the rest of the world, whereas a bigger country, I think there's less incentive to learn English. So I, I find the language barrier um, very, very minimal in, in Hungary, especially in Budapest. You
3: know, I've been to Prague, so, you know, I'm used to you know, you deal with that. But uh, is it really true that the, uh, the restaurants even tried us to uh, overcharge and everything?
2: I would say relative to Prague, the answer is not really. Um, Budapest, I find much more honest in that in that regard than Prague. There's one street that runs right through the middle of this Pest side. It's the pedestrian shopping street called Vatsi Utca. And this is this very famous sort of main walking street in Pest. Every restaurant on that main drag is a total tourist trap, and they're all trying to pad the bill. If you walk literally a half block off of that street, you're not going to have any problem whatsoever. A 30-second walk from Vatsi Utca. The prices are in half, and the service is much friendlier, and the food is much better. They all have the menus in the outside. In general, although you can always step in the door, and the, I find people very, very uh, welcoming and friendly there. Just stick your hand in the door and ask to see a menu if it's not and posted. And the restaurants
3: outside. speak English, pretty much?
2: Same as anywhere else, yep. Almost everyone there, especially working in a restaurant in the city center would speak English.
3: Yeah, that's, it's also strange. It says, watch out if a pretty girl comes up and starts to talk to you because she's probably going to take you to a place, have you buy her expensive champagne, and next thing you know, a big bouncer is going to insist you pay a huge bill.
2: You know, every city has its own scams. Um, each city seems to have certain con artists who have specialized in their own thing, and that's Budapest. For some reason, it happens in other places, but it's really an epidemic there. The word in Hungarian, I think, is konsumlan, which means a consumption girl.
0: So if a beautiful woman has never, ever walked up to you and invited you for a drink and suddenly you're in Budapest and a beautiful woman does that...
2: It's probably a ripoff. And what happens (laughs) is they take... And I've talked to people who this has happened to. It's not happening all the time, but it it happens. And they'll take you to some little hole-in-the-wall bar. And they'll say, buy me a glass of champagne, and you'll buy a glass of champagne from a menu with no prices, and then your bill comes, and it's $500. Wow. big burly bouncers make sure you pay that bill. But uh, it's a really easy <laughs> way to avoid that. Uh, if a really gorgeous <laughs> woman comes up to you and, and hits on you, you, you just figure it's probably a ripoff and say no thanks.
3: Yeah, I'd, I would figure that the way I look.
0: Okay, William, you got your marching orders. Get over to Budapest and have a good time.
3: I'll give her a shot, Rick.
0: Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Let us know how it goes. Happy travels. I us. will. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about the ins and outs of Budapest. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about taking a walk with both of you great guides through what a, a wonderful city in Budapest. And I mentioned earlier, Cameron, that a lot of people, they think uh, Prague is going to be the best uh, city in Eastern Europe, but they get to Budapest. And, and really, uh, the connoisseur of Eastern Europe is favorably impressed by Budapest. How do you compare Prague and Budapest?
2: Um, they're just really different cities. Prague is really superficially beautiful. It's a gorgeous city, beautifully set. The cityscape is just this enchanting, romantic kind of collection of steeples and domes and fine architecture. Budapest is a a bigger city. It's a more muscular city. It's more spread out. It also has some very beautiful areas, but it just feels more real. It feels more alive. It feels more vital. Prague has a beautiful surface. But I think even a lot of people who are from Prague would say, especially the old town where the tourists go, there's not a lot of uh, history behind that surface. or not a lot of real things going on.
0: And when people go to the old town in Prague, it is quite touristy, whereas you can get lost in Pest and not feel like you're in a tourist area.
2: Right. And, you know, Budapest doesn't really have an old town in the same way that Prague does. It doesn't have the cute little Kabul. There's a few little areas like that, but it's more of a real city. I compare Budapest more to Paris. That might be a bit of a stretch, but just mm-hmm. in terms of the way it's spread out along mm-hmm. the river, Lots of different landmarks spread all over the place, different distinct neighborhoods. It's more monumental. Yeah, very monumental. Not really one main square or center of town.
0: Okay, let's take a walk through Budapest now. And Esther, we'll start on Castle Hill. A quick little walk because we've got a lot to cover. But before we walk across the Chain Bridge, where would we walk and what would we see in Buda?
1: Okay, if we start uh, on Castle Hill, let's start from Matthias Church. Uh, Matthias Church is a gemstone on the Castle Hill area. It's a beautiful Gothic church. We could spend a lot of time to talk about it, but it's something you must see in Budapest, and it's very important concerning Hungarian history. It is something you have to see. It's a masterpiece of uh, Gothic, but let's move forward. And
0: then you step right out into the Fisherman's Bastion.
1: And you step right on the Fisherman's Bastion that was uh, created for the 1896 celebration when Hungary celebrated its 1,000 years of existence, and that is supposed to symbolize uh, the seven tribes arriving to the Carpathian Basin, all the seven tent-looking-like buildings. And it's um, a neo-Gothic, beautiful structure, and it's a beautiful lookout point. Where so it's you can a great lookout world. over Pest and, and, and the Danube River, Absolutely. celebrating
0: a thousand years since those first tribes people came and established yes. Budapest, huh?
1: Well, not Budapest, but the first Hungarians who first settled Hungarians. in the Carpathian Basin. That was the celebration of that. Then If you start to walk on the castle hill, you have to imagine that you're walking on caves because Budapest is the capital in the world which has the most caves. And you're walking on medieval rubble when you walk on the Buddha side. So you have to imagine that you're walking on uh, medieval rubble. Uh, When you walk on medieval rubble, you can see some medieval, a few medieval houses. This is one area of Budapest where you can see some of those remains, some archways as well and some of the foundations of medieval buildings. But then you have to imagine when Hungary was occupied by the Turks for 150 years, they set their headquarters on the Buda castle side, and they brought their camels as well. Everything from Turkey, whatever, they made them feel comfortable. Uh, When archaeologists were digging for remains, they found not just the medieval uh, remains and bones, but also bones of animals as well, or everyday life items.
0: So you're standing on all of this rubble. Does this have anything to do with the caves? I've heard that people are enjoying caving in in Budapest. Absolutely. Tell me about the caves in Budapest.
1: There are natural cave systems Mm -hmm. because the Buddha side is on a limestone
0: And that's something the tourists can do is explore these caves.
1: Some of them, yes, are open for tourists.
2: You can either do like a spelunking trip. That's popular with backpackers these days where you kind of go explore these caves. Also, right under this Castle Hill we're talking about, there's this fascinating facility. They just opened a few years ago. It was used as a hospital during Mm -hmm. World War II and an air raid shelter during the Cold War. And it was mothballed for decades. And now it's been open to visitors. So you can go and see this modern 20th century hospital burrowed deep under the castles and the churches of Castle Hill.
0: Okay, we're taking a walk across Budapest here and you get down to the river and you're going to walk across the Chain Bridge. And this is a heroic bridge. I mean, it's just to walk on it is is like a thunderous experience. But then let's take a little trip over to the Great Market Hall. Esther, tell us about the Great Market Hall.
1: The Great Market Hall was also part of the constructions in uh, 1986 just to provide facilities for the citizens to buy their groceries in nice, clean places. In the the
0: industrial age there, 1896, this would have been quite a striking uh, one of these big steel and glass structures. It's a
1: a big steel and glass structure with a beautiful majolica roof. And it is still used as a great market hall today. So people still go there to buy their groceries. And in fact, it is said to be uh, that if you want to have quality groceries, you go to this big market hall.
0: Now, Cameron, upstairs, you can have a, a taste treat. In the Great Market Hall.
2: Right. The Market Hall of the main floor is all the produce and the paprika and all that sort of thing. And then you go upstairs. There's a little souvenir area in the back. But there's also these wonderful little stand-up snack stands and lunch counters uh, lining the top of the Market Hall. It's a great place to get classic Hungarian dishes like goulash, goulash levish, shepherd soup, or chicken paprikash. And then they also have what's really a favorite called langos. It's kind of like a fry bread, kind of like a savory dumbo ear. And the really traditional way to prepare it is to slather it with uh, sour cream and garlic grab that and, and have a nice snack there right in the market hall.
0: Esther, what do you put on your langosh?
1: I would definitely put sour cream and cheese.
0: Sour cream and cheese. Yes. Do you feed that to your groups? Uh, surely. Do they like it?
1: Yeah, they like it. They find it a little <laughs> bit strange. It's it's a deep fried bread. It's yeah. something what you would call in the States Indian bread.
0: Okay. Now, I find it fun in the markets. They preserve the uh, atmosphere by putting the stinky stuff down in the basement. It's important to go down into the basement, and that's the, the fish zone, isn't it?
1: Yes, that's uh, where you can buy fish, but where you can buy also um, different uh, vegetables. And uh, you have to imagine that in old days when the market hall was built, it was connected with natural channels to the Danube. So the vendors brought their food in through uh, through the ships.
0: Very nice. Very, very practical.
1: Very practical.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're walking through Budapest, and our guides are Esther Bokros from Budapest and Cameron Hewitt, who co-authors our guidebook to Budapest. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Galen's on the line in San Diego. Galen, thanks for your call.
4: Yes. My wife and I were in Budapest in August of 2010. Had a great time there. We stayed on the Pest side at the uh, Intercontinental Hotel and had a great room there, and then we walked just about two blocks away from that to the subway station, the Vörösmarty, I think that's how you pronounce it, station, and had a free Budapest walking tour that was really nice. It was a college student that uh, brought us all the way around the Pest first. First we walked to the uh, St. Stephen's Cathedral and other places in the Pest side. Then we walked over the chain bridge and went on the Buddha side. Uh, We saw the Royal Palace and the Fisherman's Bastion, saw where they had uh, fought the war. Still got the pocket marks of the uh, bullets in the holes of the buildings over there. Mm. We bought a lot of little neat, lacy things to put on the table from some of the uh, vendors
2: that were selling things cheaply.
0: Now, Galen, you you mentioned this is a free tour. Cameron, would that have been one of the Sandeman tours?
2: Uh, I don't think they operate in Budapest, but not only in Budapest, but all over Europe now. This is the trend, these free walking tours. And i got to say, they're kind of hit or miss. Uh, There's a number of reasons why they could be a good option, but other reasons why they're not so good. One thing people don't realize is they're advertised as free tours, but the guides who are leading these tours actually have to pay the company for the right to give the tour, and the only way that they get paid is if they get tips. So, for example, if the guide has to pay the company $3 per person that's on the tour, they're expecting a tip of $5 per person at least, and hopefully more than that. Um, So you really are paying for the tour. And then there's a lot of people who wonder if that's really a fair way to pay guides. Mm -hmm. Also, a lot of times they use guides who aren't maybe as well-trained, maybe aren't licensed. A lot of times those are guides who just are... Folks who've just arrived and, students, maybe, and yeah, next f- students who decided to go live in Budapest and are leaving these tours. So it's, it's kind of hit or miss.
4: We had a very good guide. She was a college student and uh, spoke very good English and uh, brought us around to, well, we spent, I'd say, about four or five hours walking through Pest and Buda uh, and did a great job. Yeah, we, we gave her a tip at the end. We gave her about $10 for the two of us, so mm-hmm. I guess we, we didn't realize that. But
0: If everybody does that, she'll be fine. Hey, Galen, yeah. apart from the actual guided walk, which you enjoyed, what was your favorite single site in Budapest?
4: You know, we enjoyed that central market, and I think that's the same thing you're talking about. It's about two bridges south of the mm-hmm. chain bridge yeah. on the pest side.
0: Yeah, it's an exceptional place. You step in there, and it's just a commotion of everything edible about Hungary. I just love that's it. That's right, that's right. right. Um,
4: <laughs> we live close to Mexico, Tijuana, and it's, the shop in there is very similar to that with the uh, hog's head and dead fish hanging there. Oh, and, yeah, uh, you got it. it, it uh, it's a great place to go into and experience.
0: All right, Galen, thanks for your call. You're welcome. Happy travels. Bye. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're walking through the great city of Budapest, the capital of Hungary. Boy, we could talk all day about this, but uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about the massive parliament building. It it looks like uh, the halls of parliament in in London, right there in the Danube. The great synagogue. It's the second biggest synagogue in the world after one in New York City. The House of Terror and powerful museums that talk about the experience the Hungarians had to live through during communism. And then Heroes Square, where we have all of these great... uh, Pioneers of Hungarian culture celebrated with grand statues and, of course, the baths where Hungarians uh, stuff into those tight little bathing suits and float around and play chess. Uh, It's a beautiful opportunity all across the board to experience Hungarian culture in the capital city. We've been joined by Cameron and Esther. Cameron, what's one sort of moment that you'd remember as a tour guide that's particularly gratifying for people to connect with Hungarian culture?
2: I had a wonderful experience just very recently, a couple months ago, on a trip to Budapest. I'd had a very long, busy day updating my guidebook. Uh, I was tired. I was worn out. And as I planned to, I ended up at Sechenyi Baths, which is one of these great thermal baths and this beautiful turn of the century building. And anyway, as I got into my swimsuit and headed out to the outdoor baths, I was sitting in this hundred degree water, surrounded almost entirely by Hungarians. And all of a sudden, the cold rain began to fall. And I thought, it's the only time I've ever been doing guidebook research and was glad that it was a cold rain because I was in 100-degree water and it was very comfortable.
0: Surrounded by Hungarians.
2: Surrounded by Hungarians in the very local style of Budapest. In an
0: elegant turn of the century. uh, Would it have been circa what? Uh, Built around
2: 1896 1896. along with uh, a lot of these other great buildings in Budapest.
0: And Esther, what's a great moment for you as a tour guide showing Americans your, your beautiful city?
1: I think always when people's eyes glitter is when we cruise on the Danube at night. And that is, that What do is they a see? What is, what
0: is so magical? Budapest
1: is beautifully illuminated, the second most illuminated city after Paris. Uh, three bridges are illuminated out of eight. And all the sites alongside the Danube, the castle district, the parliament, churches, uh, universities, all illuminated. So they really, their jaws drop.
0: Esther Bokros, Cameron Hewitt, thanks so much for sharing your expertise about the capital of Hungary, Budapest. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Eastern Europe and beyond, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of the best of Eastern Europe, the best of the Adriatic, Prague and Budapest, and Bulgaria. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.